Hello, hello, and welcome to another hometown daily news show. I am Mayor Watt, the mayor of hometown. And uh, today is Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. It's 9 p.m. And that means the hometown daily news show is starting. Yay, everybody scream. <sighs> Tonight's episode is season two, episode 53. This show is reasonably shady. Tonight, we're going to be getting into 13 articles because it's a heavy news day. When they talk about it being hump day, they're talking about the overwhelming amount of news that's flowing into uh, hometown. Well, we're going to talk about Heinz wanting to give a rescued man a new boat, but they can't find him. Eight games that are going to melt your PC futuristic body armor a la a weird mushroom according to a research study uh some issues with this infant formula level crises that has happened in the past and will probably happen again a former california lawyer wants to cash in on cash m&m is a, a opposing a reasonably shady trademark <laughs> Seattle is going to be coming, uh, is uh, going to try and ban the caste discrimination concept. Uh, we'll get into that. They've actually, I think they've banned it. It's a new ordinance. Um, Starbucks is launching an extra virgin olive oil infused coffee. Putin changes his position on Moldova, called it. Japan Airlines flight turned around because they flew into the wind or something. Uh, pizza shop says, we'll hire you, but you have to be, uh, quote unquote, non-stupid people. And, uh, Los Angeles is facing its first ever blizzard warning and a pilot, well, let's just say was in a very, very deep sleep. Let's get into today's articles. Oh, look, the camera's on. Uh, oh, the mic's on too. Oh, is this, is this thing on? Yeah, I guess it is. So I guess I have to do the show now. I'm, I'm pot committed. All right. Well, today we've got 13 articles. Uh, you know, I want it to be a fast show, but I just don't think that it's going to be a fast show. I like to talk about stuff. I like to talk about it with uh, the audience, the, those of you who are listening via the podcast or the VOD or via YouTube. Why don't you come over, hang out with us here on Twitch. Just go to twitch.tv slash hometown and then you can talk with Marwat and the AI, probably one of the most sophisticated AIs you will ever. It's like they are human. It's unbelievable how realistic this AI is, um, and understands natural language can actually, there's two types of uh, AI in the world, that which can extrapolate from incomplete detail and the mayor, the, the hometown AI from on high, you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Does that mean I can extrapolate? <laughs> 
<laughs> I, how you paired that, I don't think that was very complimentary. Um, oh, I was... Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to lead you into the introducing yourself. I, I, okay. Maybe I fumbled my words, but... I think you were like, and the AI. <laughs> um, good evening, hometown citizens. I am a massive run-on sentence. So if there is uh, any type of punctuation, it's well past where it should be and probably munched together into one big mass that looks like nothing you can describe. So at any rate, we've got 13 articles. They're supposed to be quick for some of them. You want to get into this? Sounds great. All right. Here we go. The first article is over in the Mobile Channel. And uh, Heinz wants to give Rescued Man a new boat, but has to find him first. A man who was lost at sea for 24 days, surviving only on ketchup, spices, and rainwater, has proven to be elusive now that he's back on dry land. Well, if they don't know where he is, then maybe he's not on dry land. I know. Is he still lost at sea? He's adrift. Possibly. Do you think maybe he's a weight anchor and... Has he found solid ground? Has do you think that he has he's on a desert island of one somewhere? I, I don't I know. I would imagine I'm... not if he was lost at sea for twenty-four days. He's well, it depends where was he rescued to or from. <laughs> he could be an island unto himself. The craft hind or and craft hinds, this is a weird, it starts. The sentence actually ends with a period and then starts with the word and. And Kraft Heinz is asking for help in locating Elvis Francois, who made international news last month when he was rescued 120 nautical miles off of Colombia. This is over at adweek.com. Uh, not one of the sources wherein I get a lot of news flowing into hometown at least not the kind of news that we highlight here, but there is always news flowing into hometown. So go over to hometown.com, become a citizen. But that's not why I did this. That's not why I chose this. Before I get too deep into my rambling, let me throw this into the chat as well so that everybody can follow that. And <clears throat> it says the brand is asking for the public's help to track down Elvis Francois, who survived for 24 days at sea with only ketchup. Do you think it was Heinz? Yeah, I don't know. Um, chances are probably pretty strong that it was Heinz because it's one of the major ketchup brands. Um, mm. I don't know. Wants to give them a new state-of-the-art boat, but they apparently can't find them. And I would have to log in and I'm not going to log in while we're streaming. This is, you know what? This is the failing of my production value. I, man, this is just horrible. But if you hang out, maybe I'll log in next time. Come and hang out more. Well, I love think? that the um, ad says help us find the ketchup boat guy. I mean, that's. And it's literally yeah. a message in a bottle. Right. In a Heinz bottle. Mm-hmm. 
That's great. Yeah, people are going to be looking for this person, but probably because they want that boat. So it says, you may remember Elvis Francois as the brave sailor who survived on nothing but ketchup and spices while adrift at sea for 24 days. Well, Heinz wants to celebrate his safe return, uh, safe return home and help him buy a new boat, but we can't seem to find him. So we're setting this message adrift into the sea of the internet, because if anyone can help us find him, it's you. And if you or anyone else know how you can help us get in touch, contact, they say, with uh, Elvis Francois, please drop us a DM. So I guess you're going to have to log. Maybe it's just called Heinz. What is there? It doesn't say what their uh, DM is, right? Anyway. Hashtag find the ketchup boat guy. Good luck. Good luck, Heinz. And uh, pretty lucky Elvis Francois. Now he's going to get another boat. Take another stab at getting lost at sea. Yeah, he might not ever want to set foot in a boat again. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, let's move on to the next article. Uh, this one's in the Warcrafters channel. Eight games most likely most likely to melt your PC in 2023. I don't know. Maybe it's an NVIDIA 4090 or 4080. They seem to be taking a stab at it. It's a good thing uh, the author's PC and not my PC. It's um, over at PCGamer.com. Uh, it's a good thing their PC can't talk because they think that it would have a lot to say about what they've put it, put it through for uh, the years, various years. They forced it to make um, the Witcher 3 look pretty no matter how loud the fans got. They tore out its guts and replaced them with all new hardware and they made it churn through Cyberpunk 2077's catastrophic bugs and performance issues. It's done a lot over the years and it's probably in need of a break. So let's go over to the PCGamer.com article. Tyler Culp is the author. And they're going to go through this list of eight games. So I'm going to go through it really fast. And uh, you can decide on which ones you think are worthy of that title. So again, this thing is titled Eight Games Most Likely to Melt Your PC in 2023. Somehow, though, I don't think the first one is really going to live up to that. Kerbal Space Program 2. It's coming out apparently uh, February 24th in early access. That's right around the corner, folks. So get your computers ready. It says the recommended upgrade is a CPU to Intel Core i5-12400, which, first off, a a Core i5 isn't going to melt under any circumstances. Um, And it's the 12th generation, so we're on the 13th generation now. So this... I'm going to veto this one. This is what they're saying over at PC Gamer. I'm vetoing that. It's not going to melt anything. It has a three rating. Yeah, I don't think that's going to rise to a one. But I think uh, they're saying if you have that level, then you'll be then you'll be okay. It's not that that level is going to melt. Well, no, that's just what I'm saying. I mean, uh, it, there's if you have even close to this. This is a, a last-generation CPU. Okay, so all of this is very highly, highly subjective, okay? 
Um, so some people will say, well, even something previous generation isn't going to even get hot and warm or whatever. I don't think, I'm just saying that I don't think Kerbal Space Program 2 is going to cause a PC to melt down anything. You could probably run it on a 486. Uh, that I'm being hyperbolic, but it says a uh, Kerbal Space Program 2 might actually be one of the most intense games here. The Space Builder uh, or the Spaceship Builder and Simulator will launch later this month uh, in early access, and it could be a rough start. The original game asked a lot of your CPU, and it seems likely that the sequel will too. I don't think so. I don't think you know, maybe I have a wrong perception of Kerbal Space Program, um, but I don't re remember it being very demanding. But again, maybe it, one person's equipment isn't necessarily the same equipment that somebody else is using. And so they have a different perception of it. But we'll see. How about that? I mean, I have to admit, I was surprised that was the first game listed. Yeah, and it has a three. So then they talk about System Shock. This uh, It's a remake of the original System Shock. They say recommended upgrade is to get a new GPU, an AMD Radeon RX 6650 XT and, with, and RAM 16 gigs. Um, hopefully nowadays anybody who's playing the remake of System Shock is going to have this level uh, to begin with. But if you don't, yeah, I can imagine the, the increase in the resolution and the uh, the graphics. There's going to be a, a big bump in graphics, um, like Dead Space. The, it's going to end up taxing systems for sure. The Last of Us Part 1, um, that's coming out on March 28th. And they suggest uh, an upgrade to the Radeon RX 6650 XT. Um, last generation card Diablo four, I think is going to, um, I think it's actually going to push, uh, people into the RTX three, well, 30 X X generation. There's different generations of the NVIDIA RTX cards. 40 series is the newest one. 30 is last generation. Um, the 40 ones, Although the conversation has died down quite a bit, they used to melt their power connectors because so much was so much power was flowing through them and they were, I don't know, poorly manufactured would be my phrase, but others might say something else. Poorly installed. I don't know, all kinds of things. You had to do it the right way. Otherwise, it would superheat. Um, and you had to get the right type of connector. Like it came with a connector, but different they sourced it from different manufacturers and apparently like one manufacturer was really kind of, you know, wetting the bed. Um, anyway, Diablo four is going to be coming out. It says June 2nd, but I believe that they're about to do a public beta. Um, and I will be all over it because I've always dug the Diablo series. Anyway, the release date is June 2nd. So, be prepared, go and look it up on Steam and everywhere else you can get it. Um, Homeworld 3 is a space game that uh, builds off of the original Homeworld. Uh, I can imagine that this thing would demand an upgrade. I, I, 
I really don't think Intel Core i5 last generations, if you are going to be maximizing the graphics on this, you're going to want to get a 13th generation Core i7, get an RTX. I think that it's going to be um, a whole lot better than uh, I think what this is, but maybe they've got insider information and they're better prepared to make this argument. Uh, Warhammer 40K Space Marine 2, that's coming in 2023. You're going to want to bump that up so that you can get all of those wonderful uh, Warhammer 40K pixels thrown into your eyeballs. Um, watching a heavy bolter sit there and destroy everything in front of it is uh, one of my favorite things to do uh, in the RPG kind of world. Uh, I've, I used to play Warhammer 40k on the tabletop. Um, it was one of the games, you know, I'll come clean about this. I actually pitched Warhammer 40k as a computer game to EA. Um, and they told me that they didn't have the tech to do it. And the, the many, the writers, the creators of Warhammer 40,000 said that they, um, wouldn't even allow it because their ideology back then was tabletop driven, uh, they weren't interested in getting into computers, um, but we pitched a script, me and several of my cohort, um, and we had interviews and we're talking about it. And, and they just, after they did some research, they said, we just don't have the ability to do it. And they still don't. They still haven't created what I've wanted. So good luck uh, on this, uh, but I'll end up playing this game as well. But Starfield, I think, is going to hit it out of the park. Um, in terms of graphics, I I will say umami. <laughs> I love the uh, whole thing of Starfield where it's a, a, a segment of a universe and the world building is going to be a lot of fun to go through the story. Uh, they literally give away the ending of the game in terms of what you are aspiring to do, which is to put back fragments from a device. Um, there may be more to it after they uh, unleash it upon us to, to actually play, but um, I think you'll, you'll want to get an even bigger upgrade than what they're talking about, which is last generation kind of stuff. Um, and if you don't have an SSD already, then uh, you better, you better jump onto an SSD uh, stat and better yet get an M.2. Uh, not just your standard SATA SSD. Um, then they talk about Cyberpunk 2077 RTX, which is basically Cyberpunk 2077, but with much better graphics. <clears throat> um, the graphics on 2077 are already pushing the limit of a lot of computers, but with the RTX uh, update, it's going to send it into overdrive and you're going to want an RTX 4090, just like they say. So saying that this one is a five in the melt meter and saying up here that this is a five for Homeworld 3, I don't know. Um, a, a melt meter and, and still only needing to get to 16 gigs of RAM and an Intel Core i5, I don't think that it's at parity. I think we have a disconnect, so... Definitely cyberpunk is going to be mesmerizing in with an RTX update that really pushes the limit of it, of 
the RTX 40 series, let alone the 30. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out on all of these things. Uh, maybe I will, event, I will uh, buckle under the pressure and actually get the Cyberpunk 2077. I've been resisting it because I'm a cyberpunk purist and I don't want anything to disappoint me and people keep talking. I've watched a lot of people play 2077. Um, and all of them go, eh, it's pretty cool, but it's buggy as all get out. So let's see where this ends up. Um, I love the list and, uh, I can't wait to get all of the games that are in that drop. So let's, let's keep an eye on it. You have anything that you want to add to this? I just thought there was such a range of games listed. Um, it seems crazy to me that the games are like outpacing the CPUs and graphics cards of maybe the standard user. On the other hand, it looked like some of these were last generation. So if people are serious gamers, hopefully they're already caught up on reasonably current processors, et cetera. Yeah, and a lot of games can be stepped down graphically so that they're not at the, you know, ultra range of graphics, but you can still play them and have a lot of fun. I mean, I was having a conversation today with somebody that did exactly that. Um, in fact, when somebody, uh, there was a group of us all talking and I said, well, I've got, and as I said, I've got, I had somebody sit there and go, oh, just shut up. And I don't have like... I don't have the a, a premium system. Um, I, I don't even have a 40 series graphics card because I can't justify spending, you know, 1300 to $1,600 on a video card. Um, it effectively doubles the price of a standard computer just to have a 40 series card. And I think it's really ridiculous. And I speak uh, with my wallet because you know, yelling at Twitter, at the NVIDIA's Twitter account is not going to help me any because I don't have any clout. So, um, but my wallet does. So I, I won't buy an NVIDIA card while um, the prices are exorbitant. Regardless of the performance, everything evolves. This did not have to evolve that much of a premium. So I think um, market share went to their head. So now... NVIDIA isn't even going to be a sponsor, even when I'm doing VR and other things, because I, I say something even remotely because I'm not cheerleading. I'm going to get in trouble. That's okay. Let's move on to the next article. This next one is in the mobile channel. Futuristic body armor could be based on this weird mushroom, uh, according to a study. And uh, we're only three articles into this. All right. Yes. Well, the last article had eight games to talk about. I guess I should have moved faster. So futuristic body armor, huh? From a mushroom. Uh, it says the flim flimsy mushroom serves served atop your burger. Or the delicate bouncy mushroom caps adorning logs in the forest are not known for their strength or tough exteriors. But their fungal distant cousin, Fomes fomentarius, why does it sound like something fermenting in the woods? Um, may just hold the keys to producing new materials that could replace today's plastic, according to new research, which would be great. This horse 
hoof-shaped fungi can be found on continents around the world and gloms onto the damaged bark of trees as a pathogen responsible for diseases like white rot. F. fomentarius has long been used as a source of tinder and even planted, planted? No, there's a typo, plant-based leather. Uh, but now a team has found a way to utilize it to make body armor has incredible properties that can be used to develop strong ultralight materials. Sarah Wells is the author of this over at vice.com. And um, there's a picture of it, apparently. Yeah, it looks, it's interesting. It looks more like a rock than it does a mushroom. Yeah, it does. It looks like a rock or um, maybe like a sea animal, like a clam or scallop or something. Oh, yeah. But I guess when you look at it with the the somebody saying you know nearby you hey that looks like a horse's hoof i guess yeah i guess you can see it i mean it's pretty tough to to really see it but it it's tough it's like it's standing right there um and the the white part is the stuff is the part touching the ground right yeah but i think it would be easier to see if it was photographed at any other perspective yeah maybe a little further back Watch, it's only like you know, three millimeters wide, and it's a really tiny horse, like the Russian guy with the tiny uh, Giraffe. um, giraffes. Yeah. Anyway, so the horse, horse hoof-shaped fungi can be found all over the place. And then I guess they're doing some research to figure out how they can uh, turn it into body armor, exoskeletons for aircraft or surface coatings for windshields, according to the press release. Pretty interesting. It says there's a huge variety of solutions to different material engineering problems in nature, and not all of them have yet been properly explored. Uh, they are a senior, well, uh, Pesman Mohammadi, right? Um, a senior author on the paper and scientist at VTT Technical Research Inst uh, Center of Finland told Motherboard from Vice. Uh, <clears throat> in an email, we were interested in the origin of the good material properties of the Fomes fomentarius fungus. So I guess somebody stumbled across a research paper and from there comes the potential of increasing the strength of materials um, based on, I guess, their, the structure, the material properties of it. So, yet when comparing the material properties of F. fomentaria structures, it is important to consider how light they are compared to hard plastic or wood. For example, hemenophore tubes are comparable to in strength to wood, but are much lighter than wood. So I suppose it's kind of like, like bird bones or hollow, right? Ish. And so you I have the <laughs> you have the strength of a hollow, um, you have the weight of a hollow structure, but in this case, its strength is similar to wood. So I guess you kind of get that strength to light ratio at the right level. A crucial first step towards a mushroom-coated future will be for scientists to understand how the fruiting body, the part of the fungus that everybody sees, is created from spores. Right now, this hasn't been studied under laboratory conditions. That I didn't know. I thought everybody is noodling around with fungus. 
I'm kind of surprised they haven't done that yet. How are they studying the application for body armor if they haven't studied how to grow it? I'm starting to believe that this, if I were to go and find the research paper itself, because I don't know if it actually names the research paper in this, um, but I'm sure that I could find it pretty easy just by doing a search for this person and mushroom and, and VTT technical research center. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Niche. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure. Oh, their findings were published Wednesday in the journal science advances, but they still don't name the paper. I don't think, um, at any rate, I don't think that it'll be that hard to find this thing. And, um, I suspect that there is some gross generalization for journalistic uh, purposes and that it might be mentioned in the art in the research paper that it might, you know, be um, like applicable future to applications. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Ah. Okay. Let's move on to the next article. Um, this one is in the mobile channel. It says Caliph. Um, that's the commissioner's name. Yeah. So um, Caliph is the commissioner, Robert Caliph. I think that's how he pronounces their, their name. Um, Caliph won't make fixes to help prevent another infant formula level crises. A fragmented and indecisive food and drug administration is struggling to escape widespread criticism for its major structural and governance problems exposed by the infant formula crises, by the way. There is another one that's happening kind of right now um, with another formula maker. Enfamil is the name brand of the uh, formula, but Reckitt's is the, the business, the enterprise itself. Um, they make Enfamil baby formula. Anyway, uh, they have a plant shut down or they're being investigated. I'm not quite sure if it's both um, for the exact voluntary same. Voluntary recall. It's yeah. a voluntary re recall. There you go. A voluntary recall of the Infomil, uh, a certain segment that was distributed um, because they have the exact same uh, contaminant. Chrono Chronobacter. Chronobacter. Second yeah, part of that. Another virus um, that was found in the formula although they say that the ones that they have examined don't have it but that's kind of like holding you know uh, uh, a board that's on fire and saying okay we know that there was a fire but every other board that we've looked at hasn't exhibited any fire but they're holding a, a board that's on fire um, I don't quite get it well, anyway, it says, in fact, a detailed blueprint on how to restructure the agency for success was presented uh, to Commissioner Robert Califf. But unfortunately, the redesign plan he announced falls short of the profound changes FDA needs uh, to better protect consumers and accelerate getting safe new food products to the market. Uh, lack of bolder action ultimately jeopardizes public health. This... I'm going to take a stab at, well, you know, I figured that this was kind of a common dreams kind of uh, article, but it's actually just an opinion piece over at the Hill. Uh, Roberta Wagner and Brian Ronholm uh, contributed this to the Hill. I won't go through the whole thing, 
but it's kind of an interesting take that they're tying this to the form infant formula level crisis. Um, but they're talking about redesigning the processes of the FDA entirely. It's like this article was already written and then they tacked on the baby formula issue. Um, so it says, in fact, a detailed blueprint uh, was provided and that uh, Robert Califf wasn't going to do what was in this blueprint. An external evaluation of FDA's food program was conducted by an independent expert panel at the commissioner's request, and the final report showed immediate functional enhancements could be realized by appointing a fully empowered specialized leader or deputy commissioner for foods with direct line authority over all key units of the foods program, which I thought would be the commissioner. But apparently that's not the case. Well, I'm assuming the commissioner oversees also things like medication and other areas. So there is directly nobody that has to do with overseeing foods, but the FDA's, I mean, it's in the name. Right. I mean, I don't know, but that's what this suggests. Okay. So now I'm going to have to go and find, there is actually a link to this report. Um, ReaganUdall.org holds this final report and it's publicly available. So Definitely, if you're interested in this kind of thing, go through the uh, URL here at Ometown. Um, it's in the; it'll be in the show notes. It it's in the VOD over at Twitch. You can actually click the link and go and check it out right now if you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, but it shows what the <laughs> immediate functional enhancements could be uh, if they were basically budgeted. I mean, this is. Uh, uh, functionally, right, a quasi-government agency that should be uh, funded fully and and not sitting there looking for uh, some way to be self-hobbled. It's not even looking at the infant formula issue. Maybe this ha report had to have been done prior to that infant formula issue or not. It might have been after the first infant formula issue, but it probably is a periodic report or audit. It may be completely unrelated. Wow. So despite the broad support for the report's recommendations, Calif, their initial redesign plan didn't reflect its true substance despite containing some of the right words. So I, I liken stuff like that to a shiny red apple but rotten in the core um, I'm sure that the public are going to, those who are interested in trying to get a better food supply, a better grip on food supply, um, are going to keep on, uh, responding to this as research expands, our understanding of human nutrition, the availability of information at the intersection of health and diet is accelerating changes in consumer behavior. So more people want to know more about the food that they're consuming that way that they're not poisoning themselves literally. And, uh, and just getting back to this baby, this infant formula issue, there are extremely few manufacturers of infant formula and the entire market and the FDA and countless doctors say humans should not try to make their own B 
baby formula that it needs to be scientifically driven. Yet if they don't have oversight, if they're not directly monitoring this and even promoting competition so that we get better infant formula, I'm not quite sure what's going on here. Um, the, the final paragraph of this article is at the end of the day, it's consumers who will face the consequences if FDA refuses to truly shift away from its existing culture of indecision and inaction. This has to be a consequence of understaffing. I was right? going to say underfunding. I mean, I wonder what their requested budget is compared to what their actual budget is. Right. But, under under budgeted means understaffed without a doubt so i mean no amount of money is gonna make a person into a super analyst running around all over the country you know uh, testing facilities uh with greater efficiency than what a human can do so it needs more funding will it get it I don't know. Uh, hopefully the only way that you get more funding is when the need is uh, severely obvious and because they don't want to spend stuff proactively. You know, government doesn't want to spend money proactively. They want to arguably fix the problems that exist um, with an eye towards preventing future problems. But well, and if you get a congressional sponsor who gets interested in one of the things like the infant formula crisis, that's your way in to get some additional funding for a specific um, project or just get interest in the FDA generally. Yeah, so it takes um, those who are interested in social justice to seek um, an insider that will uh, bang the drum for the cause. And that's how uh, you got to get, it uh, comes down to lobbyists. I'm kind of babbling here, but it comes down to lobbyists uh, driving home the idea that the FDA needs to enact that plan of action that appears to be watered down. Um, a culture of indecision and inaction that leads to people being harmed is, well, it's a budget line. <laughs> Let's move on to yeah, the next we're article. Yeah, talking about food and drugs. I mean, this can have pretty severe consequences. You'd think. If the opinion piece is correct. Right, right, right. Well, that study is out there. Um, I guess we'll have to parse it, and then maybe we can come back and, and discuss it in a moment. Uh, another day. Um, so much information flowing through hometown. So the next article is over in the Daily News Show. Let me grab that real quick and throw it into the chat. And um, a former California lawyer wants to cash, and that's the words, C or the letter C-A-S-H in quotes, uh, cash in on his 50-year-old vanity plate, and he's selling it for $2 million. I did not know that you could sell your license plate. I but, didn't either. In fact, when we featured one from another country, I think I made a statement that you can't sell it in the U.S., but apparently you can. And this is California, so I'm really curious if you actually can. I, I, I don't know. Uh, Claude Arthur Stewart Hamrick, or Cash, is selling vanity plates bearing his initials for $2 million. The plates are listed 
to a white, uh, sorry, how I was, I don't know why I said that to a website called the plate broker, which deals in unique and rare vanity plates. The plates have not sold yet, but sellers are shooting for someone looking to live the coveted California lifestyle. A former California lawyer decided to cash in because he's owned those plates since 1970. 1970. There. No, I, I just won't say it. Let's go over to the source. This is over at Business Insider. And uh, Aiden Pollard is the uh, author of this article. If you are interested in these plates, go over to the plate broker and come equipped with a $2 million cashier's check or something. I'm not sure how you're going to pay that. Um, but the plates aren't sold yet, according to the article. The article is somewhere within the last 24 hours, by the way. So um, maybe something has changed since. He turned down offers for the plates for decades, Jalopnik reported. This is a, Obviously, this is sourced from Jalopnik, which is another website that focuses on um, automobiles. But now Hamrick is ready to cash in on his 50-year-old decision to uh, get personalized plates. How many people got personalized plates back then in the 70s? I was wondering that. I mean, that seems like really ahead of the times because I thought that really took off in maybe the uh, 80s or 90s. But these are white plates. I thought... Yep. He updated them across vehicles, so probably they... Maybe they reissued them because it should have been like a blue plate. I thought, um, or a yellow plate. black and yellow. yellow yeah. yeah, they were black plates with yellow in California because um, I wanted those. Um, but anyway, uh, according to the owner, a retired Bay Area lawyer named Cash, he ran down to the DMV right away when vanity plates were released. The listing reads: the plate was first put on a. New Buick Riviera, but since then has always been on a Cadillac. This is his go-to brand. That's a Cadillac? That sure doesn't look like a Cadillac. Right? That? Okay. Huh. That does not look like a Cadillac. That's... That... Yeah, okay. I'm just gonna... Let's just keep moving forward. Um, under the, under California law, owners of a certain vanity plate can release interest in the plate, freeing it up for purchase and use by another uh, driver. That's how Modeki sells the plates listed on his site. He wrote in a post in 2015, I'm looking into taking the plate off my daily driver and was going to save MM for a weekend fun car. Modeki wrote on his website. I didn't have a car yet, so I looked into the process of retaining future or the plate for future use. This is when I noticed the change to the DMV form. They added, uh, quote, release interest to new owner in section four. This was a game changer. And thus. So that's the plate plate broker. Like they were actually just trying to save a plate for themselves and then thought, oh, I'm going to run a business on this. Apparently. Pretty interesting. And so that must be a recent change. So that kind of tracks with maybe why we didn't think you could sell them. 
Yeah, so when oh, it was 2015. So 6 years ago. Okay. Or no, 8 years ago. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um I guess I I'm still wounded by COVID-19 that I'm stuck 2 years ago. Let's move on to the next article. This next one is going to kind of make you chuckle because um Will the real litigator please stand up? Please stand up. Eminem opposes reasonably shady trademark filing um, by the Real Housewives of Potomac stars. The entertainment brand from Housewives stars Giselle Bryant, right? And Robin Dixon would create unavoidable confusion with the slim shady empire, Eminem claims. Do you think Real Housewives, when you think of Eminem or vice versa, <laughs> like they don't seem to be connected in the least? <laughs> well, this is an article from Pitchfork.com, uh, and Jazz Monroe is the author. So uh, when I uh, think of this now, I will always think of Pitchfork. I don't see how reasonably shady as a trademark filing is going to cause confusion. In fact, even making the claim that Slim Shady and the Slim Shady Empire is going to be wounded in some way by reasonably shady kind of diffuses the, the gravitas of Slim Shady's empire. I don't quite get it. I mean, this is like me saying that I'm OG anything, right? I'm just not gangster in any way, shape, or form. If I'm going to sit there and say Slim Shady Empire, I'm not going to sit there and also lay claim to reasonably shady empire. (laughs) And I just think reasonably shady is just funny. So Eminem has moved to block two stars from the Real Housewives of Potomac from trademarking the name Reasonably Shady for their entertainment brand. As Page Six reports, the legal team for Marshall Mathers, uh, who holds trademarks for both Shady and Slim Shady, which is fascinating, uh, argues in the filing that the name would create unavoidable confusion, leading consumers to believe that the brand is in some way connected or affiliated with the shady, uh, slim shady empire because of the word shady. Yeah, so, but even reasonably shady, like <laughs> just doesn't have the same connotation. Um, oh, really? That's interesting. So yeah, I, I don't know. My problem here is I, I think I want to know the context of this. It says the trademarks are not confusingly similar, the lawyer added, and the services are not related. Well, they're both entertainment brand names. They're both entertainers. Um, I could probably see where trying to defend Shady, but it's kind of like trademarking the Ohio State. I think it's absurd that a single word can be uh, 
trademarked where it's ultimately generic. Well, yeah, and I didn't know that he held a trademark for shady, but I agree. I mean, that means anybody who uses that term. And I agree that they're both in the same industry, but, you know, one is a singer and one or a group or actors. Like, I don't really see those as... This would be a, a less of a case, I guess, if it was like one was a bake shop and one was a car Marshall dealer Mathers. or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess because they're close. So it it's interesting, but I don't know. I think that the fidelity of trademarks exists. You can be in different sectors. You can have a name that is just outside of reasonably close, right? So like if you have reasonably shady and slim shady, it comes down to marketing the right way and that you don't cross into each other's playground. But who's going to be looking for the entertainment brand reasonably shady versus slim shady? Not the same people in general. <laughs> right? Well, uh, I think what is going to end up happening is they're going to defend their mark, but be told that it's reasonably different um, from Slim Shady, and it's going to be an expensive lesson in <laughs> kind of pushing against whatever this mark is. How this, uh, I, I think that they stand to reason, it stands to reason that they could probably invalidate the trademark for just the generic word shady. I think that's ridiculous to be able to trademark. But as long as nobody challenges it, then it can be, it, it can stay. Um, because you can generically... The amount of due diligence that is put into place to assign a trademark amounts to uh, making the request for a name and then providing evidence that it's used. And there's no other blowback. Hey, this is really painfully generic. I don't think that it should be assigned. Could be the trademark um, uh, analyst. Uh, I can't remember their real title, but... Um, the uh, trademark attorney is doing that legwork, looking at it going, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll accept it. But shady is so generic. I just don't get it. Uh, you want to move on to the next one? We do have quite a few. So the next article is over in the daily news show. Seattle becomes the first U S city to ban caste discrimination with Kashima Sawat, uh, ordinance. So this is a Seattle uh, focused uh, anti-discrimination ordinance. Basically, within the city, you cannot um, utilize the caste system to not hire or to or to say that you can only work in a certain area of a company based on your caste. So it's similar to other protected classes. Uh, and the article talks about it, right? So age, race, religion, gender identity, national origin, immigration status, disability, and military status. I would say that this comes into national origin, immigration status, and doesn't need to be broken out as a caste ordinance. I would probably seek to include 
cast into the national definition. Um, but it says here that the move, uh, a move the measure socialist sponsor hopes will inspire similar legislation nationwide. I think that this is, um, I think it's already ensconced and somebody, the, the Seattle city council included it to drive home the point on somebody's behalf. So somebody cheerleaded this and they're connected in some way, you know, either lobbying or friendship or whatever it is, um, to provoke a response around the caste concept. So if you're not familiar with the caste idea, depending on which country country you are from, within that country, there are strata of people born to a caste, a level of geosocial political status that they cannot break out of. Because if you're in that caste, everybody that is part of your family line is in that caste. You aren't, depending on the nature of or the adherence to the caste system, you cannot talk to somebody from another caste without somebody uh, else being present. You can't date, you can't marry, you can't work, you can't do this, that, or the other. It it really depends um, on just how adherent they are to the caste system. Um, bringing it here into the U S, um, gives it weight, names it here in the United States, instead of directly leaning into the series of protected classes that already enumerate it national origin. If you are from a, another location, you come to the United States and cast is used to uh, harm you as a person or an employee, it's violating national origin. It's also na- uh, violating immigration status. Um, you cannot be right um, impacted because of these things because it's enumerated in the various protections that every citizen has. Um, and if you're here like H-1Bs, then you have the same mechanisms in place. You're protected because of your immigration status. Um, it's This is wild that somebody would actually drag this into the American mindset. So I think, well, I was surprised to see this because I hadn't heard of this in the U.S. Certainly I've heard of discrimination in the U.S., but not caste based discrimination specifically. And I wonder if it was drawn out separately, number one, to draw attention to it. But number two, I think there's a perception in certain areas of discrimination that for instance, if the perpetrator of the discrimination is in the same group as the um, uh, target of the discrimination, that it can't be discriminatory. And so I wonder, for instance, like if you think national origin, if it's truly caste-based discrimination, presumably the two people at issue are in the same class. And so I wonder if that's why that's been drawn out separately. 
So this article is over at commondreams.org. Um, and I usually say that their article titles and some of their content um, kind of makes me provoke the word inflammatory um, or it conflates issues together. This is one um, written by Brett Wilkins over at commondreams.org. And um, it says right in this article, not only is this the first of such laws in the U.S., it's the first in the world outside South Asia. So that's pretty interesting. Like, what is going on in this city, right? Or was it such a niche issue, and this is perhaps overkill? So let me back up a little bit. It says the Seattle... City Council voted Tuesday for the first U.S. ban on caste-based discrimination, a move the measure's socialist sponsor hopes will inspire similar legislation worldwide. The council vote uh, six to one in favor of an ordinance by District 3 Council member uh, Kashama Sawant of the Socialist Alternative Party that adds caste as a protected class to a long list of uh, that includes age, race, religion, gender identity, national origin, immigration status, disability, and military status. Caste discrimination will now be banned in fields including employment, housing, public accommodation. People are experiencing caste-based discrimination will also be able to file official complaints. Again, this is national origin. This is immigration status. If you feel that you are being predated on because of your caste from others who believe in the caste system, get rid of that ideology in the United States as being a uh, an embodiment. Because if you are from anywhere, you are protected because you cannot be abused because of your national origin or immigration status. Well, and terminology matters, right? I mean, I would assume a lot of people in the U.S. don't even really know the term caste because it's not typically seen in the U.S. I don't mean that it doesn't occur at all. Um, but it's interesting because, I mean... Possibly it's giving gravitas. More, right, exactly. It's almost working against probably the purpose of this legislation. Yep. Just like there are other words in the lexicon of the United States that should not be uttered. Um, the, mind you, let's not forget those terms, but let's have the grace and dignity to wipe them from the lexicon so that there is no embodiment of that much hate or marginalization. That's not what's happening here. It's actually embodying it into the law as a term that has so much weight that it's instead of just saying this is a uh, origin, uh, national origin um, issue, they're saying that caste exists in the United States and it doesn't as a concept. It doesn't. It's idiomatic at that point to the regions of uh, society that accept caste. And that's not part and parcel to the American experience. It is because other people uh, embrace it and now use it within their microcosm. So 
it, they continue, it says, Sawant, who is uh, Indian American, called the measure profound and historic and expressed hope that it will serve as a beacon to other cities to follow. I think that it should uh, have been commented that it was a na national origin issue. Um, and uh, they continue on. Uh, because while caste oppression or discrimination does not affect all Americans, the way it manifests itself is no different than other types of oppression under capitalism. This is something that is idiomatic to the socialist ideal, I think. Um, and so I don't, for the life of me, I just don't see that it should be um, a separate concept. Um, and, but they say in the article that emotions and tensions ran high in city hall before, during, and after the vote, Yogesh Maine, or maybe it's Mane, um, who grew up Dalit, the lowest caste in India, uh, in India, wept as he heard the council's decisions, um, and said, I'm emotional because this is the first time such an ordinance has uh, been passed anywhere in the world outside of South Asia. He told the Associated Press it's an historic moment. Um, and there's more to this article and I'll let you go over and read it. Um, only because it does get a little bit more involved into explaining what the caste system is and how the discrimination works. Um, and they'll continue to explain why it's important. But to me again, there are certain things that I think um, shouldn't be, this type of marginalization shouldn't be embraced in the United States. We have our own problems with the concepts of class, which is similar to caste, except that it's not embodied in the actual behavior of many people. Usually, you know, somebody who is ultra rich won't quote unquote hang out with the pores kind of a thing. Um, and the caste system is a little bit, not a little bit, it's a lot more dystopian um, because really people from different castes are culturally forbidden and in some cases legally forbidden from doing certain things. Um, and bringing it in, and defining it, it's a cultural issue um, that I think just needs to be founded in, if it's in the United States, then it should stay in the American ideals and not accept caste. And if somebody says, well, I wasn't given this job because of my caste, this person, that's discrimination. It's not a caste-based discrimination. It's a discrimination which is I would like to say in a perfect world, it's the antithesis of what America is, except that we see discrimination all the time. Well, and I kind of wonder, I mean, I know that the people um, experiencing this are obviously not necessarily empowered to do anything about it, but if for instance, they mentioned the tech industry in particular, so is anybody going after these large companies that are um, perpetuating this? And they could go after them on things like national origin. I mean, that seems like the real way to tackle some of this. Um, but again, it's kind of a, a power differential. I suppose. Yeah. 
and and I had mentioned this um, in discussing this article. I actually read a little bit about this because I have some experience with this uh, through talking with other people that have lived through this type of discrimination. Um, and I and so I was explaining that particularly in the tech industry where a lot of people in the tech industry are coming from other countries, this caste system actually exists and it can permeate into their uh, interactions with other people that are in the industry. And uh, just to drive home the point, they actually have a little comment here that caste-based discrimination is at the center of a case making its way through a California state court in which a former engineer at Cisco Systems says he was excluded from meetings and passed up for promotions because he is Dalit. And that is what I was talking about in our communications. Basically, the power differential within the enterprise allows somebody to exert whatever internal bias they have. And they can sit there and claim all kinds of other reasons, but not that it was a caste-based issue. Now, that might actually hold true unless they have evidence that says, I was turned down for a job and excluded from meetings because I'm in a, the wrong caste. Well, <laughs> That's going to be just as tough to to um, prosecute in a court like national origin when you're from the same uh, or origin nation. You can't go after somebody for national origin related issues. It's simply, you know, disparate treatment. Well, in this case, with this embodiment, they can say, "Look, caste is protected." I don't like the idea of caste existing in the United States because now it's going to be enumerated somewhere and somebody can say, I follow this and look, they're taking my rights away by not allowing me to practice what I practice. Well, caste has never been truly embraced in the United States, except arguably it wasn't referred to as caste in the very beginning of the United States. Um, but we do have a close approximation to that, um, not to mention the uh, the income level strata. You know, we do have a class system. We're just not beholden to that. You know, you can marry up, you know, into the upper class kind of a thing, or somebody can be in love and marry somebody who is dirt poor. It's not verboten it's not forbidden it's not something that can get you killed um but caste systems yeah, it's not like a systemic thing like i would say a caste system is but right. we have elements i would say that are similar to caste system yeah um so i would say in medical terms this is an acute case not endemic it's not something that pervades American culture and it shouldn't be allowed to. Um, so I, I suppose it's innocuous in terms of the general um, defense of one's rights, but it's going to be applicable to what could be a growing niche. Like I don't want fundamentalism to exist in any way, shape or form. It doesn't necessarily make me a fundamentalist because I'm anti-fundamentalist, um, but it's growing. So how do you protect against fundamentalism growing? 
Uh, you have to actually embody it in law um, so that there is a legal response to extremism. And I think caste-based discrimination is an extremist um, embodiment of uh, discrimination. So um, I, we'll see, uh, you know, uh, this is this is an interesting situation because tech is full of people coming from all around the world to the United States and, and um, for this to actually come into existence, this might open the door to further uh, discovery that the caste system is readily apparent in the tech industry. Um, let's move on to the next article. Uh, this next one is in the Hatch Ideas channel and it's uh, Starbucks launches extra virgin olive oil infused coffee. Uh, this probably goes down real smooth. Uh, forget chocolate sprinkles and vanilla syrup. Starbucks now wants to tempt you with olive oil infused coffee. Is it still going to be burned? Oh, lost that sponsor. I lost that sponsor. <laughs> the Oleato range of... I can't believe I said that without breaking, but I said it. Uh, range of drinks, each containing Partana extra virgin olive oil. Launches in Italy on Wednesday and the U.S. this spring before coming to the U.K., Japan, and the Middle East later this year. It's over at The Guardian. I won't spend much time on this. Sarah Butler is the author over at TheGuardian.com. Um, you know, we just talked about how Starbucks is actually going to be replacing all of you baristas out there. If you are a skilled barista, you might... Um, want to hurry up and form a union before the the union gets removed because all of the humans are going to get removed because guess what there's a bot coming for your job starbucks filed a patent um, or received a patent for a bot that can make a personalized cup of joe exactly how they like it um, or how i like it but i don't go to starbucks anymore um it says the Oleato range of drinks, each containing Partana extra virgin olive oil, is going to be in uh, Italy, uh, U.S., U.K., Japan, Middle East. There are five options, including oat milk latte and cortado, as well as cold brew, with Starbucks claiming inspiration from the Italian custom of eating a spoonful of olive oil every day is that source of this. Howard Schultz, the man who transformed Starbucks from a regional chain into an international business, and who steps down as interim uh, chief executive next month, said this is his parting shot. See ya! No, that's not what he said. Um, Take your olive oil, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, said the idea for the olive oil-infused coffee was prompted by a trip to Sicily last year. Oh, so this is like a lot of people that I meet where the latest idea is the greatest idea. Um, and, uh, you see this a lot in universities, like, uh, professors see this a lot and other people, uh, particularly students that are uh, trending towards graduation, see this a lot where, uh, suddenly the latest freshman is a freedom fighter for some cause that they would never have even conceived of. Um, and then by the time they're a fourth year about to graduate, they're the one that's sitting in sweats instead of all dressed up trying to impress and and uh chuckling at the people that are now the freedom fighters for some random cause um it it 
it is the circle of academia, it seems. In this particular case, hey, I'm going to come back from Sicily and I've got this great idea. Have you ever had coffee? Oh, this Me? is a question. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a rhetorical question. No, no, no. Uh, AI, have you ever had coffee? Well, the AI can't drink beverages. But you've analyzed coffee. Yes. Have you ever analyzed coffee with olive oil, dude? No. That's a new one. Yeah, man. It's... <laughs> I can't do it. It just sounds like a fever dream. But everybody out there, drink your coffee... And then at the end of the day, a spoonful of olive oil. Fine. But olive oil infused coffee? Come on. So you're not going to try it when it comes to the U.S.? <sighs> yeah, probably. Just so I can say that I've tried it. And maybe we can report on Omtown <laughs> once you have. And we can do a follow-up. Here, I'll, this will be embodied in a video from now on. I've put all kinds of things in my mouth. Anyway. Putin changes his position on Moldova amid airport capture rumor. This is over in the Daily News Show channel, um, but it's sourced from Newsweek. So I'm going to jump straight on over to uh, this article because Mayor Watt called this. Um, yeah, so wh what's going on here is Putin has changed the position or their position on Moldova amid an airport capture rumor. And it's a rumor. Um, but I'm saying that this is actually what's taking place. Uh, Russia can't win against Ukraine. And so they're going to have to split up the forces because um, right here is Moldova. Um, and that would allow the Russian military to create a multiple front uh, offensive into Ukraine and uh, distract, I guess you could say from the Eastern side by perpetrating attacks on Ukraine from the West. This is arguably in response to the fact that, well, Putin's getting his ass kicked and well, we won't get into the stats that we heard today, but the decree enacted in 2012 when Russia's relations with the West were less fraught was annulled to ensure the national interests of Russia following profound changes taking place in international relations, i.e. Ukraine is pretty buddy-buddy with the West and Russia's efforts, or Putin's uh, specifically, Putin's efforts to put the band back together are being hobbled. I think an Iron Dome should be put into Ukraine as fast as humanly possible, and they should be pulled into NATO so that they get the full defense mechanism of NATO partner uh, countries. Um, but that will probably provoke a more hostile response and maybe China stepping up to the plate a little bit. Um, but Moldova is this smaller nation kind of attached to the hip of uh, Ukraine. And apparently uh, Russian quote unquote peacekeepers have been in Moldova and fomenting discontent with separatists because it, 
even talks about it historically. A war in 1992 between a newly independent Moldova and the separatists was followed by the presence of Russian peacekeepers ever since. So this really is kind of like a little, uh, I would say, independent Russian state, except that it's not claiming Russian dependency. It's been on its own. Um, and arguably democratically elected leadership has been in there, but apparently it's also been rife with some troubles. Now, I don't know the, the local culture and, and history of Moldova, um, but it says last week, citing Ukrainian intelligence, it's president Maya Sandu, um, accused Moscow of plotting to overthrow her government. And they were actually destabilized, um, to the point where an interim, uh, president took over Moldova, Moldova, uh, it's not a president, it's a prime minister. Moldova's prime minister, Doran Racian, confirmed the rumor, but told local media that despite several scenarios of destabilization, our institutions are prepared to face such challenges. Well, not an open onslaught of Russian military forces, I don't think. Um, but it's also a sticky situation here because to get to Moldova, it's encapsulated inside Ukraine. Um, on three of its four borders with this little little offshoot of a waterway, which if anything close to being Russian comes to dock in this little area, it will get lit up like a Christmas tree. Um, so I don't see how any uh, Russian forces could get into Moldova um, directly by sea um, let alone depositing tanks or anything like that. Anything flying over Ukraine right now that even uh, turns off its transponder is probably going to get blown out of the sky like a Chinese weather balloon. Too soon. Yeah, it's never too soon. So that's really the nuts and bolts of this article. So, um, uh, I, I think that it's troubling, uh, to say the least. And if Russia does get a foothold inside Moldova, um, Ukraine is going to have to divide its forces appropriately. But I think uh, Ukraine is up to the task. Um, good luck, Ukraine. Uh, nobody should be invading you. And uh, I hope that we continue to support their efforts to defend themselves. Uh, the next article is over in uh, the Daily News show as well. And uh, this one is a Japan Airlines flight was turned away and had to fly 100, uh, 550 miles back to Tokyo after missing an airport's closing time by 10 minutes, according to a report. So, uh, you know, a 10-minute uh, delay can actually happen in the air, depending on the way that the wind is blowing. So... Because of nature, <laughs> they had to turn around. Um, a Japanese airliner was forced to turn back right outside its destination airport and fly 550 miles back to Tokyo because it missed a 10 p.m. cutoff to land. Ten minutes, y'all. Ten minutes. That's that's all it was. Adida Barad is the uh, author of this article over at Business Insider. I won't spend a lot of time on this because it's pretty uh, obvious uh, what uh, actually took place. They tried to land. They were late. There wasn't anybody there that could crew the planes 
evacuation or deembarkation is that I won't say evacuation so nobody was there they wouldn't pay 10 minutes longer for the flight to land and and get everybody uh, disembarked well and they also were going to run out of fuel they had to stop um, so it doesn't really seem like that made sense like maybe they could have just landed on arrival passengers were given hotels and told to wait for a morning flight which landed successfully So it was, this was all within Japan. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm astonished. Flights are not allowed to land at the airport after 10 p.m. due to noise concerns. Okay, apparently they can come pretty damn close to landing, though. Right. I mean, was it circling the airport at, say, 10, 10 p.m.? By then, it would have been quieter to just go ahead and land. Right. Just land. Can you imagine? I mean, how many people do you think would have complained if a plane landed 10 minutes late? They would have chalked it up to a late plane. And I would say, so what? Even if there's a fine or something, it would have made more sense. Think of all the fuel lost and putting the passengers at risk of not having enough fuel for the return trip. Uh, just, it does not make any sense. Yeah. It was pre pre-approved for landing at 9.56 p.m., but denied permission when it arrived. The flight carrying 335 passengers landed back in Tokyo at 2.50 a.m. after the stop-off because it had to refuel. So a Fukuoka airport official told the media outlet that flights could land after 10 p.m. if a delay was unavoidable, like from bad weather or traffic at the airport. But the official said this delay did not count. What? Wind? Isn't that weather? <laughs> All right. And it actually looks like it circles the... Like it, it, it goes to land and then gets bumped because you can actually see the flight line. It looks like it's coming into land at Fukuoka and then bounces back out. And Right, but that means it probably violated the noise ordin ordinance anyway. <laughs> you know what violated the, new, the noise ordinance? The pilot and, and customers on that flight screaming that the airport down below are bastards. Okay, let's move on to the next article. Um, okay, all of you non-stupid people who want a pizza job, let's go to Ohio Pizza Shop catches attention with now hiring non-stupid people sign. Santino's Pizzeria, located in the Georgesville area of Columbus, Ohio, had two signs posted on Tuesday reading, now hiring non-stupid people. The non-stupid signs drew attention online that turned into retaliation when a man posting on social media that he ordered $110 worth of pizza uh, and didn't pay, then never picked them up. Um, other businesses around the country have displayed the same sign, often with similar impact think it's kind of a funny sign wow this is a really big auto playing weather forecast for 217 okay not sure why that was all playing in the background um let me see if i can i'm gonna refresh this and see if it yeah there we go so there's santino's pizzeria now hiring non-stupid people i think that it's actually 
kind of funny um, and not starchy. And now it really takes it to a different level if the person that's doing has the hiring authority is antagonistic and is really calling out stupid people who come to apply. Oh, you're stupid. Therefore, I'm not hiring you. You know, it, it, it takes it from being marginally humorous to being you're an asshole. Um, but other people will interpret it differently, but not everybody has the same sense of humor as I do. You know, you can pretty much crack a joke about anything with me, depending on the context, read the room. Um, and even then, if there's only one person that gets offended and I don't know, orders $110 worth of pizza without paying, you might actually be, well, let's just say you're not the target of the hiring authority. Um, so what it comes down to is this could have been funny. So the non stupid signs drew attention online and somebody lashed out. Uh, they should have taken a card for the order over 60 bucks. They didn't. The Facebook user wrote, I guess they shouldn't have hired stupid people. Pizza sucks by the way. So this person is completely, yeah, well, I know that any of my businesses take a credit card for any order. Yeah, if you're ordering something online, you're paying for it now. Otherwise, the order isn't going to get done. Thanks. Bye. A photo of the controversial sign accompanied the man's post, and he wasn't the only one to spot it. Cars were seen slowing uh, by the Holt Road store, taking pictures of the signs when Nextstar's WCMH visited to ask about Santino's hiring message. Um. It was intended to be a joke, but referred for the request for comment to the pizzeria's owners. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be a joke. I could see that. It's not a very... Nobody can make a joke anymore, right? Because everything gets posted on social media and somebody takes offense at it. Yep. So, quote... The user thought it was funny to place a large order and then called back when it was finished to talk down to one of our employees and then cancel the order. The Santino's team wrote, we took it to one of the homeless shelters and the people tonight were extremely grateful for the food. So how much of a dick is that dude for calling and trying to rattle the cage of this pizzeria place? I mean, you're a real tool, dude. Um, and also, I'm sorry, the person who's answering the phones is not the one who made the decision on the sign. That's the right. thing that really gets me. They always take it out on the cashier or the clerk. They're just working there trying to make a living. Yep. Um, it says here at the very end of the article, a, a Texas pet store saw a similar reaction online in October 2022 when it posted an identical sign looking for applicants, according to an entrepreneur uh, report. The sign is also readily available to purchase online, selling in multiple sizes for between $27 and $166. So, um, AI that runs hometown, uh, do you think that it would be wise for me to get that sign and put it right back there? I don't think you want to do that. It's obviously polarizing. Yeah, I'm one of the stupid people, so maybe I'll throw that up there. By the way, those back there, those sound sound panels that I have lights rolling through actually have little T-tracks in between them. So I can actually attach things without having to drill holes into the wall every time I want to. 
Um, so it's like 10 feet back behind me. Um, I could get a really big sign and put it back there and it'll just hang there. And whenever I want to change it, depending on the, who's in the chat and, and what they say, I can swap that sign out. This time it's no stupid people. Next time is what? I put all kinds of things in my mouth. That's what I said earlier. Let's move on. So uh, over in Los Angeles, it's facing the first ever blizzard warning. This is an interesting one. Um, I don't think that I've ever witnessed anything coming close to a blizzard, let alone a large winter storm that's going to hit Southern California this week, bringing up to five feet of snow and very strong wind gusts. I've been hearing something about this big polar storm that's going to come down and crush the United States and that we're probably going to have uh, the poles flip and the core stop and we're all going to uh, meet our match and uh, uh what is that? What was the 15,000 years ago? There was a, a giant freeze of everybody and society had to start over. This is all this. It's like a, a theory about a society as it stands now that there were ancient builders and stuff like that. Um, but there was a, um, basically an ice age, a mini, the younger driest ice age, and it, we broke out of it 12,000 years ago. Um, maybe this is the beginning of the next ice age. And um, I don't know. I uh, spent a little bit of time in uh, L.A. And, and Southern California. And at this point, hell is freezing over, huh? Yeah, I think this is shocking because... They don't even get snow, certainly not a blizzard. Not down there. I mean, out in the not mountains. Not in that area, right? In the mountains in Northern California, they do. But So Anna Skinner over at Newsweek.com wrote this article. It has a little video of watch winter storm brings heavy snow and strong winds to parts of U.S., but that's not here. Not here, I mean. It's not there in uh, L.A., so as a separate massive winter storm moves eastward across the country, Southern California is also facing threats of snow, rain, and even a blizzard. Um, the NWS reported that Los Angeles County and Ventura County mountains are under a blizzard warning from early Friday morning through Saturday afternoon. Snow accumulations could reach five feet and wind gusts are forecasted to exceed 55 miles per hour. And so when this article is sitting here saying Los Angeles facing first ever blizzard warning, they're really talking about mountains in Ventura County, which just happens to have a little bit of Los Angeles County that might get impacted by it. So they're saying downtown Los Angeles is going to be covered in five feet of snow. You know, when they talk about slippery slope, this is what they're talking about. Um, anyway, we'll see. Uh, we're always keeping an eye on everything. And, um, you know, we, we have uh, contacts that are in the area that will be able to tell us if there is anything actually happening. Uh, this person also says uh, Adam Doughty uh, told Newsweek that the storm is moving into southwest, uh, sorry, southern California and would bring a pretty significant rain and snow event. 
and said the mountains near to Los Angeles and San Diego could see over a foot of snow at elevations of 3,000 to 4,000 feet, and that lower elevations such as LA Basin could see enough rain to cause flooding, which basically amounts to a cup of water in LA during a drought is going to cause flooding. So the amount of precipitation is rare with Dowdy saying, uh, it only happens every three to five years. So apparently this snow is um, not even going to get into L.A. itself, just some mountain tops. But then they say Los Angeles facing first ever blizzard warning. Maybe I, I need know, to. I know, I think of downtown when I see that headline. It screams Sorry. hyperbolic, um, clickbaity bias titles and maybe this might be the last straw for me to nix newsweek from uh, the aggregation because i keep another sponsor <laughs> yeah i see a lot of their articles and it it tends to be like this um little over the top if there is so much as an inch of snow in la i'll keep them you know on monday if i hear reports of actual snow landing in la I'll keep Newsweek. Otherwise, I'm nixing Newsweek. The two things I'm thinking about for LA getting snow are one, oh my gosh, what will happen on the freeways um, if people aren't looking at the weather forecast? And number two, people in Southern California don't tend to own winter coats or any kind of winter weather gear. So what are they going to do? Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I, I've been in states where it rains regularly and all hell breaks loose. Um, I can imagine what's going to happen in California, who rarely sees rain. All hell doesn't seem to break loose, though. Not like I've seen in other states. Let's move on. Let's go on to the next. The, the next article is in the Daily News Show. Uh, it's a channel uh, group, etc. And uh, a pilot thought his instructor was pretending to nap, but the man had actually died in flight. So he was taking a serious in-flight nap. A flying instructor died during a private flight last year. According to a new safety report, the pilot thought his instructor was, quote, just pretending to take a nap before realizing that he was dead. The way that's written, it's like the the uh, flying instructor was pretending to take a nap, then realized that he was dead. Right. <laughs> Instead of the passenger realizing he was yeah. dead. A UK aviation body found, that's a weird turn of phrase, uh, a UK aviation body found three instance, instances of pilots dying of a heart attack mid-flight since 2005. Eh, I guess you're in good company. Let's go I mean, over to the source. If you're a passenger, you do not want that happening to your pilot. <laughs> True. And I guess if you are in training as a pilot, you don't want your training instructor to do this. Um I just don't know how do you how do you broach that? Um tower flight <laughs> 2 has a problem. A pilot thought his instructor was pretending to nap, but the man had actually died in flight. This is an article over at businessinsider.com. Aaron Snodgrass is the author. 
And uh, only three people apparently in the UK have died mid-flight since 2005. So uh, if anybody's looking to get into the top 10 list somewhere, you got seven more chances. A flight instructor accompanying the pilot on a private flight in England suffered a cardiac arrest and died shortly after takeoff, but the pilot thought his fellow flyer was just pretending and didn't realize the truth until after landing on the runway. Hey, dude. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking if you're a flight instructor, you're not pretending to nap if you're supposed to be monitoring for safety or whatever you're doing. What did he, what did, what do you think that instructor said? Like turned to the student and said, if I am really, really still, don't bother me. I'm taking a nap. I trust your flying skills are going to be up to par because let me tell you, if you crash while I'm napping, we're all going to die. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Most people would have been freaking out if the person that was supposed to be the instructor even looked like they were sleeping. Like They'd try to wake them up, maybe. <laughs> the pilot that day had originally planned to fly from Blackpool Airport to another airfield, according to the UK's Air Accidents Investigation Branch report, but... Crosswinds at the time were above the pilot's comfortable limit for flying alone, so he asked an instructor to accompany him for a single circuit. There were no passengers aboard the four-person Piper PA-28. So that's pretty ironic because he thought he needed assistance and then ended up doing it solo anyway. The, the instructor's last words were, looks good, there's nothing behind you. Apparently the Grim Reaper was. The pilot knew the instructor well and thought that he was simply pretending to take a nap, not realizing what had occurred. Yeah, poor guy. Jeez, 57. Dude was pretty young uh, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, there's not, there's not much more to this. Other people who spoke to the instructor the morning of the flight said he was acting his normal cheerful self and offered no indications of feeling unwell, according to the report. Well, that's kind of how cardiac arrest works. You rarely get a warning shot that there's something going on. Um, so best wishes of the family. They don't mention anything about family. Um, but that was apparently, that's apparently the plane or similar to the plane. This is a Getty Images stock uh, photo, but a tiny little four-person plane. Um, at least he went out doing what he loved. Absolutely, but... <laughs> well, quietly, maybe he did nod off and fall asleep. Yeah, it brings me to that other joke, which might get me $110 worth of pizzas delivered. And just to let you know, everybody, I love pizza, so feel free. Um, just you pay for it because I won't pay for it. Um, at any rate, so I want to go out like this pilot trainer um, peacefully in my sleep, not like the passengers in my plane. Right. Anyway. That's exactly what I thought of when you started to say that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... That might be it. Maybe he went out exactly how he wanted to all along. Uh, we just don't have the full 
story. Unfortunately, you know, he went out at a relatively young age. Um, so that's it for hometown daily news show. And, uh, we'll be back tomorrow, 9 PM. We actually shot past again. Uh, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. Every day, news is funneling into uh, hometown.com. Little snippets, headlines, little snippets. You can uh, post a comment just by clicking on a link. It'll take you to that little snippet. Um, You follow the link that takes you to the source. You can read it and come back. Or you can save up all of whatever you want to talk about and come to our chat here at twitch.tv slash hometown. Um, I may start streaming again as a restream over to YouTube live, uh, the, but YouTube, um, partitions it out as a live stream and not part and parcel to the rest of the streams, uh, or videos. So it looks really awkward and it doesn't get put into the playlist the same way. Uh, so it's weird. I'd have to go through additional machinations. Um, that said, you can always get the podcast as well. Go over to hometown.com, sign up or sign in, become a citizen. Uh, We are probably going to be kicking off. I've tested the gamification stuff. Um, That will probably kick off this weekend. Uh, The two-factor authentication stuff, I haven't ironed out the bugs. Um, And I probably shouldn't mention bugs and two-factor authentication. There are no bugs. It's verification. I want it to be frictionless. and uh, I haven't had enough time to test everything fully, so I won't activate it until it's ready for prime time. That said, it'll be a very secure hometown.com. So, and we don't even ask for personal information beyond maybe an email address. So, find one you don't want spam from, and you won't get anything from hometown. So, feel secure that you're not going to get any spam from me. Um, okay. So that's it. I suppose you want to say bye to everybody. AI from on high. Good night, hometown citizens. And we'll see you at tomorrow's show. 9 PM Eastern be there or, or not. Um, but I would appreciate you swinging by and having a good time with us. If I keep on talking, we'll hit two hours. No? We can cut it. <laughs> okay. See you tomorrow, folks. Bye-bye.